Thanks for tuning in to episode six of She Shreds podcast. Our guest today is my friend, Canyon neighbor and resident badass, Larissa Connors. Working as a full-time high school math teacher, Larissa took the pro field and spectators by surprise with a fourth place finish at the U.S. Cup XC race in Benelli Park in Southern California in spring of 2015. She finished right behind Georgia Gold and ahead of a slew of decorated XC race veterans. She then went on to race full-time at the World Cup that year and through 2016. In 2017, Larissa shifted her focus to ultra-endurance events, where she found she excelled. She took wins in the Belgian Waffle Ride, the Leadville 100, and the National Ultra Endurance Series, and won every 100-mile event she entered in 2017 and 2018. Late last year, Larissa suffered rhabdomyolysis while competing in the LaRuda race in Costa Rica. We'll hear lots more about that, as well as Larissa's latest ultra-endurance endeavor that doesn't involve bites. Welcome, Larissa. I'm so excited to share your infectious energy and fun stories with She Shreds listeners. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. It's so fun. You've been on my short list for a while, so I'm glad this worked out before your life gets uh, super, super busy um, in a different way in about a month or so. Yeah, right? do you hear how quiet it is in my house right now? <laughs> no, no crying. <laughs> if you haven't figured it out yet, <laughs> Larissa's eight months pregnant. Well, technically nine because I count a month as four weeks and we're at 36 weeks. So we're full term yes, today, yesterday, someday this week we were full term. <laughs> but we're hoping the baby stays inside for another eight weeks because we have a lot of work to do on our house. <laughs> you need extra time for that kitchen remodel you were telling me about, right? Yep. <laughs> stay in there, little, little one. And I hear that the longer it's in the womb, the better developed the lungs are, the better chance of being a good athlete the baby is. Oh, hey, there you go. Were you in the womb for a long time? I don't think so. <laughs> And I also have no expectation that my kid is going to like sports at all because I feel like if I have that expectation, I'll be sorely disappointed if all she wants to do is computer programs and program computers and and the like. And I'll be happy if that's the situation, but I can't, I can't like tie myself to the fact that idea that she's going to be a a mountain biker. Right. I think that would be hard as a parent because you, you want your kids maybe to love some of, at least some of the things that you love to do. So you can do it as a family, but I guess in the end, it might not work out that way. As long as she's a good person. Yeah. <laughs> she will she be. <laughs> I know you and Brendan both pretty well, and I think that her odds of that are pretty good. <laughs> I don't know. I'm real scared. Parenting sounds like an 18-year impossible endurance race. Like, I, the, oh, man, <laughs> I didn't train for this. Right. Well, how could you? Exactly. <laughs> <I'm> terrified. <laughs> of course. I think that's probably pretty normal. But you're good at handling fear and nerves, I think, from all of your race experience. Do you think that'll help you when the time comes to delivery and, you know, uh, the stamina the first couple months when you lack of sleep? And, you know, it all sounds kind of similar in a way. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not actually worried about any of that. I'm worried about like when she's three years old and I have to teach her about, I don't know, 
being told no and um uh, <laughs> well hard work and uh i don't know having good character and stuff that i don't know if i necessarily have to model for my child so that to me is scary Gotcha. But you know, I think think by the time she's three, you'll have a lot figured out, right? Oh, I hope so. Not worried at all about labor. That part sounds awesome. Can you imagine that much pain? And I mean, it could be anywhere from eight to 24 hours, but I've done some pretty terribly painful hard races that took eight to 24 hours. So I think we got this. True. You know, that's a good point. Yeah. The stamina. <laughs> the midwife keeps saying, "If you have a positive attitude, it'll go well." So, <laughs> okay, and you have a very positive attitude. I think that's like bike racing too. Like if you go mm-hmm. into it with just expecting to have a good time and to just experience the event or the trail or whatever it is you're doing, and you're just really like focus on the good and don't worry too much about the scary or the unknown, then it usually turns out better than if you're fixated on the negative stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we're yeah, getting I, deep. To- yeah, exactly. I love it. <laughs> right in. I love it. <laughs> no, but that's really true. I think like it, it it's pretty spot on. Like if you go into it thinking like, I'm going to get this done, I'm doing this. Yeah, like, exactly. You'll have way better odds of finishing it than going in with a lot of doubts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Listen up, everyone who's doing Leadville. Just go into it with positive headset. <laughs> Mindset. <laughs> I'm real sad that I'm not going to be there. <laughs> oh, I know. I bet. I bet that's hard. Because um, you've won. And it would be even fun for me to be at the top of Columbine cheering for everyone else racing. Like, I think that would be so much fun. But it's so close to the due date that there's a high chance that I would give birth on top of Columbine. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure they don't have the facilities for giving birth at 12,000 feet. (laughs) Yeah, that would be pretty rough. What's the date of Leadville? It's coming up, you said. Uh, I think it's something like August 8th or it's in a week and a half or two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They're too far along for that, I think, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> unfortunately oh maybe it's the 10th well maybe would make your sense. little girl can cheer you on next year oh man i don't know <laughs> this is this has been the biggest question of my life is what will i do after the baby's born and it's impossible for me to know how large of a task parenting is going to be or how time consuming and so i feel like i can't commit to anything because yeah. It might take every minute of every day that I have, every spare waking minute, taking care of this human child, and I may not ride a bike for another year. Or I might ride a bike within a month of giving birth, and I have a pretty good supportive husband, so it's possible I might be training again by December. Yeah, right. But like it's, I can't know. Like there's no way I've never, I've never done anything like this before. So there's no way I can predict what it's going to be right how how you can plan because you don't know the parenting side and like your own recovery physically and exactly yeah that's (laughs) kind of exciting though in a way maybe like it's so different for every person too so it's like a lot of people Mm -hmm. like oh well I was riding my bike within two months but they also said I was riding my bike up until I was 20 or 35 weeks pregnant and I haven't touched a bike in three weeks and I honestly have no desire to touch a bike right now because I'm so slow. 
Right. And there's not a lot of space either in front. And my extra small size jerseys won't zip up anymore. (laughs) Imagine that. (laughs) You did pretty good. You rode until, so you rode until week 33 or so? I rode, well, I rode once week 33 with my parents and it was very, very slow. But I was riding consistently up until school ended, which I think was like late 20s, like week 28. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. And it felt really good because my commute's only 12 miles each way. And it's mostly downhill on the way to school. And the way home, I would just go really, really slow. And it it just felt good to get the exercise in. But that was when the baby was small enough that it wasn't taking up all my lung room. Right. Not (laughs) posture on your bike, like with the, the, the space out front. Yeah. Everyone said, oh, I have a stem extender you can borrow. And I thought they meant because my belly was going to touch the top tube. And I'd I'd be riding like, this is never going to happen. My belly's never going to reach the top tube. But now I understand it's that your back can be more upright. So you can have room to breathe. Because when you're bent over like that, you really like cannot breathe. And then you start going uphill and you're like, holy cow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where's my granny gear oh my gosh oh that's so interesting um, and my parents are in their 60s and I can't keep up with them going uphill I'm like oh what is wrong with me <laughs> oh, that must be that would be kind of hard for you I would think <laughs> being who you are <laughs> you're very stressful yeah thinking like that you know swoopful <laughs> is it your natural inclination <laughs> Well, I know something's really wrong with me because yesterday, Brennan, yesterday morning, Brennan woke up and said, I'm going to ride my bike up motorway. Want to come ride up the pavement with me and then just ride down? And I was like, "Mm, I'd rather stay home and clean the refrigerator. (laughs) So that's where we're at in life right now. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I I honestly felt I would rather stay home and clean the refrigerator. (laughs) That is awesome. Was he surprised? A little bit. Yeah. The refrigerator's spotless though. <laughs> <laughs> it's never been so clean. I bet. Oh, I love it. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, Larissa, let's 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 back up a little bit. Besides uh so I wanna I wanna share with everybody who might not know your whole some of your history. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you when you started riding bikes, maybe the first time besides being a kid that you kind of took up bikes in a more um, dedicated way and then, you know, kind of the evolution of your, your racing career. Yeah. Well, I, like I was never like a typical kid riding bikes. Like I didn't just ride to get to friends' houses or whatever. Like every day during the summer in high school, I remember riding up into Annadale State Park in Santa Rosa with my sister and we would try to conquer really technical climbs. And so like mountain biking's always been something that I've been into as like a way to, to be out in nature and to get away from suburbia where I grew up and like get away from my problems or to clear my head. Uh, but I didn't find competitive cycling until I went to college and I was on the triathlon team doing triathlons just to cross the finish line and say that I did it, which was fun. But then I met my now husband and he drug me onto the road bike racing team in college. And I got hooked on the competitive, go really fast, beat all the people side of cycling. So that's how like serious cycling started. Okay. 
And that was up <laughs> in Northern California, right? We went to college. Yeah, that was at UC Davis. Yeah. Okay. And it was pretty exciting because Brennan's been designing my bikes pretty much since day one. So like anyone who knows my recent bike racing accomplishments knows that I raced Leadville on a bike he designed two years ago. But in college, I was super, super poor. Like I would just eat fruit from the research orchard for lunch every day because I couldn't afford to buy food. And Brennan wanted me to go to road bike nationals and be on the team time trial team. But I couldn't afford a time trial bike. So he figured he would just cut up a bunch of tubes, weld them together and make me a time trial bike. And (laughs) this ended up being a much more (laughs) time consuming process than he originally imagined. But he basically built me a bike from scratch. That's really, really cool. And I actually raced that in 2009 or 10 at collegiate nationals. And we won the team time trial. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Do you still, and we were just dating back then. Okay. But that was the point where he was like, I have to marry her because if I don't, she's going to walk away with this bike that I made. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty awesome. (laughs) It sits on our mantle in our house. Oh, Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) I didn't know he made that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty special. And he also, so after college, we took it around in, at Sea Otter and he would talk to different bike companies about this bike that he made for me and how it, it won nationals and how he learned so much from the process of designing and building this bike. And that's how he landed his job at Felt when he was working at Felt. Oh, yeah, that's really that's cool. Pretty cool. <laughs> and did you race it more than like, did you continue <laughs> racing it or did you eventually get a different one? <laughs> No. <laughs> well, so he built it for me. I raced it in college. And then when Brendan got the job, it felt we moved to Orange County where there's not a lot of roads you can ride on without stop signs every 10 seconds. So I shifted to mostly riding mountain bikes and it felt safer too, because you're not around the cars and the community of mountain bikers we, we met and became friends with here ended up being like a really great group of people. So I don't race road. In, well, I dabbled in it a little bit a couple years ago, gotcha. but I don't race time trial anymore. So. Okay, gotcha. Since college, the bike has sat on the mantle. <laughs> but at least it's All a nice hard work. Um, decor item now. <laughs> and it has meaning. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then and then you and then you just rode sort of recreationally for a while here in uh, Orange County. And when did when was your first bike race um, on a mountain bike? I don't actually remember. I I was bike commuting. So I didn't own a car in college. So I had to bike commute to get from Davis to Sacramento for student teaching. And that's, I didn't, I had to, I didn't have a choice because I didn't have a car. So that kind of set the stage for, for bike commuting. So when we moved, even though I had a car, it just seemed like the, the thing to do to just keep bike commuting because my commute was the same distance as it was in Davis. And I don't remember when I started racing mountain bikes, but the, the bike commuting kind of carried me through to when I started, I was probably like 2012. I have no idea. I just know it was a Fontana winter series race and I went out really hard and I'm pretty sure Christina Turner is the competition who passed me in the last lap because she paced herself. And after that, I was like, this aggression will not stand. I have to race again and win. (laughs) <laughs> and that was the expert level like cat one level race 
<laughs> then the next time I bet you won, didn't you? Oh, definitely. <laughs> like, it's not going to happen again. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and at the end of that year, so I raced, I raced cat one for a year. At the end of that year, I, I was like, yeah, this is pretty cool. I like this a lot. And Brennan said, well, you're going to have to upgrade to pro because you've won every race you did. And I was like, well, no, because I like winning. And if I upgrade to pro, I'll be getting like 20th place or like last because they're professionals. And that was when Brennan told me that if I wanted trophies, he would go to the store and buy me trophies. But if I wanted an honorable, like to go out and do an endeavor that had meaning that I should upgrade and push myself and see like what I was capable of. So I kind of got guilt tripped into racing professionally. <laughs> that friend is a, he's a sly one, isn't he? <laughs> he legitimately told me he would buy me trophies if trophies were what I wanted. <laughs> he knew exactly what he was doing. You know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm like all this time in the background, like we bought a house and we got married and I was asking him about kids and, and he was like, no, I don't, I don't want kids right now. I want to wait. And so like, I'm pretty sure he was scheming in the back of his head. Like if I get her to race her bike professionally and travel all over, she won't want to have kids because she'll be too busy traveling and seeing the world and riding all these cool trails and doing these races. So that was his secret plan to postpone the babies. It worked, <laughs> it worked for a pretty long yeah, time. It worked, right? Yeah, like five or six years. <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> yeah, not bad at all. <laughs> and then, uh, and so then you hired a coach, right? And kind of got on a program. Yeah. So the first, the first year I got like 15th, 20th place at every race I did. And I was not traveling that much. Like I would go to a couple of pro XCT races like in Montana or Colorado Springs. But it was just like exciting for me to be on the same start line as Emily Batty. And so I'd, Brennan would take a picture of the group of racers and he, I would be like, make sure you get Emily Batty and I in the same frame. <laughs> like that to me was the biggest thrill ever. Like that I, I don't know, cycling is a really cool sport because it's one of the few sports where you can be a very, like not an amateur, but y- you don't have to, you don't have to sign a contract to get into like the NBA to be able to play with the greats. Like you can be a third year bike racer standing on a start line with someone like Emily Batty, who's been on so many world cup podiums. And like, that's really exciting because she's was absolutely one of my idols, like super nice, positive person and like really inspiring to me what she was accomplishing as a young mountain biker. So the fact that I could stand right behind her and compete in the same race as her was really exciting, even though she would finish half an hour ahead of me. Right. That might be exaggeration, but <laughs> not by much. But just being <laughs> in that zone, I thought that was so awesome yeah. and inspiring. And it probably yeah, pushed you so really cool. hard, too. Yeah. And so the first the first year or two, I was getting like 15th place. I didn't really improve much the second year. And I... I, at some point during the second year, I hired a coach because I knew that I wasn't doing things like I was just riding my bike and running with the cross country kids at school and commuting and mountain biking after school. And I was doing way too much. And I knew in my head, like, I'm not doing a good job training. And I kind of wanted to see what would happen if I hired a coach and actually trained legitimately. So, uh, I, a friend of mine was sponsored by CTX. CTS, sorry. And they suggested that I apply for a scholarship program with them. And 
CTS hooked me up with Matt Freeman. And after a year of working with him, I went from 15th place every time to that Benelli race getting fourth. So it made a huge difference. Oh yeah. in just a year, that's, that's impressive. Like, yeah, a year, year. Yeah. It was about a year oh because, gosh. well, I was like spastic and over, like way <laughs> overtrained. Like I seriously, I'd ride my bike to school for an hour, run for an hour and a half with the kids after school, ride my bike home, change into mountain bike shoes, and then go mountain biking with the local mountain bike group, the Sprocketheads. So like every day I was just exercising from the sun up till sundown, like with no purpose, no rest. Oh. Until I started working with Matt. And then Matt was like, okay, we need to do something different. <laughs> You're going to take rest days. <laughs> like, what? Those are the days when you don't ride your bike. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, that must have been hard for you. I actually remember that. And you were like, I can't ride my bike today. Or I have to ride like chill ride, recovery <laughs> ride. And you're like, I don't know how to do that. That's the part. <laughs> something. Because that was the year. That was the race. Um, I just remember watching this live of this race and it was so exciting. 2015, was it in like March, maybe? February, yeah, March. Early. Yeah. And um, Larissa, you just like, you kind of came out of nowhere and people were like, who is this girl? <laughs> the commentators were like, who is this girl? She's in, you know, you kept moving up or however the progression went, but by the time you were like chasing Georgia and the top three, you were, they were legitimately like, okay, who is this? <laughs> it was so fun to watch. Well, it was like the doofiest race because I was, I was in the top four, top four or five the whole time, but I would get to the top of the climb and then I would wait and let everyone pass me for the downhill because I knew I wasn't as fast as they were. And I'm thinking like, these are professional athletes and I am a high school teacher. So if I get in Georgia Gould's way descending, then she's going to be super upset with me. Like that's disrespectful for me to go in front of her and hold her up. So I would wait for Georgia to get around me to go down the downhill. <laughs> and then I would, then I would get dropped a little bit on the downhill and I'd have to climb really hard to catch back up. So it was like a series of me getting dropped on the downhill and then riding myself back into the top four on the uphill and then getting dropped on the downhill and riding myself back into the top four, which is the hardest way to race your bike. And also that was the moment when I realized I needed to learn how to ride a bike downhill. Mm. <laughs> it really sucked. <laughs> I remember them. You told me that they looked up your Twitter profile because they were like, who is this person? Like really? They had no idea who you were. And, and tell us about that because that's a really funny story. <laughs> well, I didn't, when I made my Twitter, I, I don't know. I was in college and I didn't really know that Twitter was going to be so important one day. So I just jotted down some random thoughts. Like I have four chickens and I want to have a goat one day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think I was a full-time teacher yet at the time. And so they, they read my Twitter on the broadcast. And then after the race, uh, there was money, there was prize money at that race. And I, I won some. And they asked me in an interview, what are you going to do with your prize money? Are you going to buy a goat? And I like, didn't know that they had been reading my Twitter profile because I was racing my bike when this was happening. And so I was like, what, what are you talking about? Like, I like goats a lot, but where, <laughs> how did you know that? <laughs> oh my God. So great. <laughs> that children is why you always keep your Twitter updated. <laughs> Lesson. <laughs> Lesson of the day. 
<laughs> when you get famous, when you come out of nowhere and become famous, it'll come. On <laughs> <Not> accident. <laughs> totally. And so, yeah, that was the best. They were calling you like the dark horse. and But then you, <laughs> then you really ramped up your racing from there, right? That was sort of like, okay, I can do this moment. Yeah, that was, it was like a huge eye-opening experience for me. Cause I, I like would watch the world cups on, on Red Bull TV whenever they happened. And I'd obsess over who was going to win and, and what they were doing during the race and look at their strategy and like dream about one day being in that situation. And so during that Benelli race, when we passed by the finish line with the announcers booth, I'm pretty sure on one lap, I was like, guys, look, <laughs> look, I'm in the top four <laughs> because the whole time I was like, this is like being in those Red Bull videos. Like I'm seeing the thing that I've been watching and dreaming about. I'm seeing it from the front row. Like I'm, I'm in it now. How and cool. so it's kind of eye-opening. Like this is something I'm capable of doing. Like I'm not just a random Yahoo who comes to these races to get a picture with Emily Batty. But the side note here is that you are working full time as a school teacher. And oh, yeah. and being competitive <laughs> among full time professional bike racers who did not have a day job, <laughs> and I taught zero period that year, so I had to wake up at four a.m. every day to ride my bike to school at four thirty. I-, I have an interesting experience because I feel like I'm proof that anybody is capable of doing anything. It's just you have to have like so- equal parts like hard work and and whatever, but also like good luck is a huge part of it. And I'm just, I've been unbelievably lucky my entire life with the circumstances. Like I didn't have any money in college and I thought I was going to end up in jail for not paying my credit card bills. So like I've had, I've had stressful times in my life, but for the most part, like the fact that my commute was 20 miles or 18 miles long and I'm a high school teacher. So I may have to wake up at 4am, but I have the whole afternoon to train. Like I get out of school at two. So then I would just go do all of my training during the daylight. Other working people wake up early, but then they have to work until five. So it's way harder for them, I think, squeeze them to, to be as dedicated because the the hour. So I've just, I've worked hard, but I've also been just ridiculously lucky. And then the summer's off too. Yeah. And I didn't choose this profession because of bike racing. I I always wanted to be a teacher. And then I just kind of got lucky that the two went hand in hand the way they did. Totally. Did you always want to be a math teacher? Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) My, uh, I didn't learn anything at all in eighth grade algebra one. And I didn't learn anything in geometry in ninth grade. And then I failed the first test in algebra two as a sophomore in high school and I cheated off the person in front of me and they had form A and I had form B. So it was very obvious that I cheated. And the teacher said that if I came in every day an hour early for tutoring, he wouldn't tell my parents that I had cheated. Oh my God. And so like he seriously spent so much time teaching me everything I had never learned because none of my, I had terrible teachers mm-hmm. my whole education until that point. And he spent so much time helping write, write those wrongs. And then I, after that, I had amazing teachers every year. And so it was just a huge, like, to me, it's just so meaningful that the, the teacher you have can make the difference between you thinking you're a math person or not thinking that, or you enjoying the subject of math or hating it and thinking it's terrible and hard. And so I just, I was like really inspired, especially by my calculus teacher to, to be that person for some kid someday. That's cool. I, you know, I was in the same boat. I had terrible teachers and 
for math. And I, I never really had the chance to have a great teacher. Oh, and I just sucks. like fought my way through. I had the same math teacher all four years of high school because my high school was so what? small. Yeah, my high school was so same small. Oh, man. It's <laughs> if they were bad. You had a bad teacher. He was, he was brilliant. And I think he just couldn't teach to the lowest common denominator, which was me and, you know, a couple others. Oh, no, that was me in eighth grade. <laughs> yeah, and we just got left behind. So oh. I know. And so yeah. I'm happy that people like you are... <laughs> Are, are helping the kids like I was. That's it's so awesome. funny. Now, when I'm teaching algebra, it's like I say things to the kids like FOIL for multiplying binomials together. I'm like, I had no idea what that meant in eighth grade. I, I left eighth grade not knowing. I left eighth grade thinking we were talking about something you use in the kitchen to wrap up your leftovers. And I didn't know how that related. Oh my and God. So when I say things like FOIL to my kids, I'm like, I understand that that doesn't mean anything to you. Because it meant nothing it. to me. Yeah. <laughs> so if you don't understand what I'm talking about, you could be a math major in college. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you did. You majored in math and then yeah. and got your teaching certificate at the same time. And I got my teaching certificate the year after I graduated undergrad. Oh. And I stayed at UC Davis because I wanted to keep racing my bike for UC Davis. Oh, so cool. <laughs> it worked out really well. They had cool. a teacher credential program. <laughs> That's awesome. Did you have like a specialty or is there a type of math that you love more than some of the others? Um, my degrees or- in just general math, but I really, I really enjoy calculus and I've taught it twice, but now I'm kind of stuck in a, a rut of teaching algebra one because I've changed schools a lot. Not, not oh. always by my own choice, but I, I like algebra one too. It's, it's the, it's the year that's so pivotal for pivotal for most kids. So it's important. Right. It's like foundation yeah. stuff, right? And if you're enthusiastic about it, like hopefully you can get some kid to enjoy it. And if you're, if they have a teacher who's not into it, then that's the, that's the thing that makes them hate the subject. Right. So. <laughs> or like a teacher who can't break it down to their, or, or explain it in the way that they need to hear it. Right. Or like be patient enough to know that you're not going to get it the first time or the second time or the third time. And like, it, you may not pass the first test, the second test, the third test, but your brain just is processing and it just takes a while to process. Right. And so and it's like hard when teachers like teach a subject and move on and then test and move on. And then you're like, well, I failed that test and I failed that test and it's over. I may as well give up. Oh, totally. <laughs> but that's not how it is. Like, that's not how it should be. Right. It should be like, if you can pass this test in two months from now, like, even though you failed it the first time, you should still always have the opportunity to like reprove yourself because your brain is always processing even like days and weeks after you heard something. I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting. <laughs> no, I agree that that is interesting. And not everyone gets it, you know, learns at the same speed too. Right. like, Exactly. Especially with math. And, you know, some people pick up languages really fast, but then they suck at math. That's me. Yeah. Um, like, you know, so my brain just really takes a long time, like you're saying, to kind of get it. So that's interesting. Um, I liked that little math segue. That was fun. Um, so, so like, not segue, detour, I guess. Um, because you were working full time and then you had the summer off. This is 2015. And then and then you started racing more, uh, more races, right? That's when you sort of decided to race full time. And yeah, I got again, race. super lucky because like 95% of my life is just pure dumb luck that like I did not design myself. It just 
things just happen the way they happen and it's the best possible situation. But I, uh, I called up Scott Tedrow from show in 2015 and begged to be on his team because I knew Pua was racing for him. And she was one of the racers that I looked up to. And he, in 2015, he told me that I was going to have to work harder and lose weight and, and do all these things and prove myself. So I basically proved myself in 2015. And so in 2016, he gave me the opportunity to stop working and to get paid to race full time. And if I hadn't have reached out to him just by chance and hadn't happened to live in the same County as him, cause he lives here in Orange County, I wouldn't have ever had that. Oppor- well, I shouldn't say wouldn't have ever, but I probably wouldn't have had that opportunity. So it's just super lucky that he was there that that phone call was made. And then that Benelli race happened, like all the stars aligned. So I was able to stop working for a while, which is really cool. cool. Yeah. And you traveled all over the world too, didn't you? Yeah. It was super cool. Yeah. And, and continued to do pretty well in the XC category or the XC field. But then you, then you decided, then you started doing longer stuff. And that's sort of where you figured out that you found your niche, isn't it? Yeah. After 2016, there was like some, some really hard stuff happened. I had to kind of reevaluate what I was doing with my life and like to cope with emotional pain. I was just riding my bike insanely far every three days. Like Carl Bauer, my training buddy, and I would go out on a Wednesday and go ride 150 miles. Oh and it was God. like, it was like part a way to like numb the emotional pain, but also like a kind of maybe a little of that self-harming thing that yeah. <laughs> is not really that healthy, but <laughs> at least you're on a bike. So you can pretend like you're being a healthy person. <laughs> um, and, and then at some point that year felt off, asked me to race Leadville to launch the bike that my husband was working on designing. And so I was like, well, that seems like a good goal to get my head back into a good space and to focus on something specific and not just be riding to destroy myself. And so I shifted to training for ultra endurance stuff. And it like just happened to be like the thing that I am really, really good at <laughs> all along. Uh, oh yeah. Long stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like, like hundred miles or longer. It's yeah. kind of where you feel like you've found your place. Yeah. Like I signed up for Belgian wall ride on a whim thinking that it was a grand fondo. Like did a bunch of yard work the day before in a hundred degree heat because Brennan said <laughs> it's just a grand fondo. Like don't get, <laughs> don't get so excited about it, Larissa. And then one Belgian wall ride that year, just like as a like fluke, like I just rode how I ride every weekend and happened to win and then after that, it was like, okay, this is something I like doing. Like just That's absolutely cool. destroy myself for eight hours on a bike. And then that counts as winning a race. Like, yeah, sign me up. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and that was before Leadville, right? So, yeah. oh, perfect. That was a training ride. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and did you realize like in the moment you're like, hell yeah, this is for me. Like I'm good at this. And I, I kind of kick ass at this. I think it was more of a feeling of like my training went from being 
short specialized intervals and a lot of rest and also starving yourself all the time when I was racing cross country to like when I shifted to endurance I had the same coach and he like he had a really hard time keeping me from way overdoing it every weekend already so like he would say go ride for three (laughs) hours on a Saturday and I would go ride for five and be like oh I only went over by two so then, then when I moved to racing ultra endurance, he was like the, the training plan had a little more flexibility in it and a little less like consequence if I went out and overdid it. And so it was, I was just a lot happier with the, the training and I like mm-hmm. the hard work and the specific structure and the intensity of cross country racing. Like that was, that was fun and it was great, but I really like riding my bike for a really long time. So it was nice to shift to something where I get to do what I love every week, not just on race day. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. It probably felt just a little more fun. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> All around. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and you do like, you do the same races every year when you're racing cross country, like you go to Missoula for the XC and then you go to, I don't know, there's like Fontana and Benelli and you go to the exact same races yeah. And shifting to ultra endurance meant like a whole new series of races that I could go to in new places. So it was kind of like right. I got to experience a bunch of different trails and it was just kind of a change of scenery that was really nice too. I bet. And and there's so many races, like oh, yeah. hundred milers still. <laughs> oh, I mean, I know that, yeah, they're all over the place, all over the country, all over the world. But the National Ultra Endurance Series has like twelve races on the calendar. It's oh insane. And they're all over the US. Like they're not they're not like focused in one area. Like they bounce back like east coast, middle of the country, west coast, east coast again. You can't you can't do all of them. You won so yeah, so that same year that you won Leadville, you actually won that series, right? But that was so the first year I won Leadville, I didn't oh, do yeah. enough of those races to win the series because I didn't know I didn't know what I was doing at all. I just knew I need to win Leadville. So in preparation for Leadville, I did BWR for fun and accidentally won that. And then I jumped in the van with my friend Lauren and we drove to Colorado and we happened to be in Telluride the day before the Telluride 100. And Lauren was like, oh, you should go find out if there's any open spots in the race because it sells out because it's a really small race. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I've never done a hundred mile race before. Is it crazy altitude? Like I've had a head cold. She was like, let's just, let's just go see. And they had a spot and they sold it to me. And so like <laughs> next thing I know, I'm like carrying a coin that says I have to show up at the start line of the Telluride 100 the next day. And they're like, well, I just did a really big workout two days ago and I've never been, I've never raced at 10,000 feet. Like this is insane. And like happened to win that race. Like, this- <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> and then, and then Two weeks later, a week later, we're in Breckenridge and she's like, oh, well, you should really do the Breck 100 because it's really fun and and you should do it. It's You would win it. Like, just sign yourself up. So, like, sign myself up for that race too. And, like, I didn't really know there was a series or this was a thing. I just kind of stumbled into all these other 100-mile races and, like, begged my coach the day before, like, please, will you let me race this 100-mile race? And he'd be like, "Mm, I don't know. All right, I guess, but just, like, be smart about it. And then, so I did those two and then a week, a week off and then one Leadville, but I didn't, I didn't like plan on doing that series until after that year. I was like, Oh, if I had just done three or four of those races, I would have won the NUE. 
Oh my gosh. And then the next year, did you, were you able to do more? Yeah. So the next year, the next year I was like, Oh, well, I really want to go to St. George to do the true grit. Cause that sounds fun and it's close. And then I scheduled my summer around doing as many NUE races as possible so that I could win the series. Oh, that's right. And you did, you won it. Yeah. I won oh all the NUE races I did and I did 500 mile races in the course of six weeks in the summer. Oh and then God. had two weeks off and then two or three weeks off and then raced the big bear in UE. So it was kind of a cool year. Cause I was like really pushing the limit of what my body is capable of. Yeah. And I probably pushed myself into the whole rhabdo situation because that is not healthy. And that's the year. So I that- think it's normal to just race a hundred miles every weekend is probably not like, it's not something that you should do <laughs> in my head. It was like, well, there's another one next weekend. Like, why, why would I sit? Why would I sit around? I could just go race my bike. Like, no, why would I not? <laughs> yeah. I've never been to South Dakota before. <laughs> you did one in South Dakota. Yeah. The, that was the worst race. I've well, not the worst. That was the most painful race I've ever done. Really? The Tatanka. Oh, great name. What was terrible? It, it was awesome, but it was 105 oh. degrees and it was crazy humid and I like a lot of the trail was fresh cut. Like they cut the trail last week and then they're like, let's include 10 to 15 miles of fresh cut trail. That's like soft with roots oh in it God. or like stumps. And I like definitely had heat stroke, sat down under a spigot for a while, like on the side of a mountain, just sat in the spigot. Wow. <laughs> like a complete idiot. Oh. <laughs> I stopped and cried three oh. miles from the finish line. Cause I was oh. so defeated. Like I'm at mile 97. And I'm oh, crying Lars. on the side of the trail. Oh my gosh. Oh. <laughs> I could have raked point in. right there. <laughs> how, did, how did you three rally miles. to do the last three miles? Oh I'm I have no idea. it was like oh. an out of body experience. You're delirious. But it was it was part of the course that I actually had pre-ridden and I just had forgot it was there. So a, some dude I was next to for a while was like, This is the last uphill further back. And so I was like, okay, this is the last uphill, just one pedal stroke at a time. And I then it descended and then came across this next actual last uphill. And so I was like, just feeling so defeated that there's actually more uphill. And I just oh didn't think gosh. I could do it. And, when you were in- <laughs> and then there was some lady on the Juliana who was doing a shorter distance version of the race. And she was like, do you need something? And I was just oh. bawling. Like I, you couldn't understand what I was saying. <laughs> she was like, uh. "Oh my!" And were you in first place at that point? Yeah, I think I won by like half an hour or forty-five minutes. So I could have just hung out there for a while. <laughs> there was a, another point, like ten miles from the finish, where I legit stopped and just was like hanging out. And I was like, "I wonder how long I can stay here before someone oh catches me." Because I was so oh. so tired and so hot and so over it, I was like, "I'm just gonna sit here in the grass." So childbirth is going to be no big deal. Right? You're like prepped for it. The whole, it's similar in a lot of ways, I bet. I mean, I've never done it, so I can't really say, but. All these women who've had babies are probably rolling their eyes like, she thinks she can handle it. (laughs) Did she grunt once and the baby came out? (laughs) Or did you do a marathon? Hours of agony. Oh my gosh, seriously. That's such an unknown too. Like you don't know what it's, how it's going to go at all. It was different pain than bike racing pain too. Like True. I can't get a tattoo cause I can't handle the, I can't handle that pain. 
but yeah. I somehow like I can start riding my bike and just never stop. And I can like ride myself into a place where I end up in the hospital. So like you did in Costa Rica. <laughs> Tell us about that, Lars, because that's super, that wasn't that long ago. Yeah. So that was the November 1st, 2nd, 3rd, or 2nd, 3rd, and 4th of last year. And um, I, the prize for winning the National Ultra Endurance Series is that they take you to Costa Rica and they, you, they support you through this three-day stage race called La Ruta. And it follows the route of the conquistadors across the whole country of Costa Rica from the Pacific coast to the Atlantic coast, which is really cool concept. Um, And I knew like everyone says, Oh, this is the hardest race you're ever going to do. And so I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've, that sounds like right up my alley. Perfect. And then everyone says you need to respect the jungle on the first day and like, don't go too hard because if you like, if you go too hard in the jungle on the first day, then you're going to like really mess yourself up. And that's like my race strategy is I go hundred percent all the time. And then my hundred percent gets slower and slower as time goes on. But if I go full gas in the beginning, usually I can establish enough of a gap that the people behind me can't ever catch up, even though I'm slowing down. Like that's like just how I race. So I go hundred percent and then halfway through or like two thirds of the way through the first stage, which was about 60 miles. I just had crazy heat stroke. Thought I was in oh Brazil, like just convinced I was at a different race in a different country. Oh no. Like at one point I'm riding along the road. Like, I don't know where I am and I don't know why I'm not in school right now. Like teaching, this is really strange. Like I got to figure out how to get home. Cause like I'm, I'm riding on the side of the road, like unsure of how I got here such bad heat stroke. I ended up falling over a couple times in the ditch pulled out of the race. Like mentally I'm sitting on the side of the road and this white pickup truck comes along and the people in the pickup truck, are like you're winning. You have to keep going. It's like all downhill. You just have to like 200 meters of uphill left. And then it's all downhill. Like you can do it. Like talk me into getting back on my bike. And then I like somehow finished the first stage of this race, which I don't know how that happened. I was like falling over for the whole last three miles. I would just fall over for no reason because I like couldn't keep my left arm straight. So I was like slumped over and just would lose my balance on this fire road. And I twisted my ankle really badly in one of these falls. The moto, the lead moto was like, you can't finish. Like you're in really bad shape. And I was like, no, no, just, just let me finish. <laughs> so I crossed the finish line and like beg the EMTs to like give me an IV of fluid because I knew something mm-hmm. was wrong with me. And I remember after a Belgian waffle ride, there were EMTs there and they would give you fluid, like an injection of fluid. If you were, it was really hot that day too. It's like people were having heat stroke symptoms and getting fluid. And they're like, yeah, that's the fastest way to rehydrate your body. And so I was like, please, will you just give me fluid? Cause I know something's wrong with me. And they wouldn't do it. So like after two hours of chilling in the EMT tent begging, I like went and ate lunch and then we went back to the hotel. And then that night, I was peeing cola, like Coca Cola, and I like saw the movie Twenty Four Hour Solo a couple years ago, so I knew that meant I had rhabdomyosis. But I thought, like, well, I'll just do the next two days, and then I'll go to the hospital because, like, how bad can it be if I can still walk? And everyone else around me was like, "You're just sore. The next day is easier. Day two is easier, and day three is the easiest. Like, you'll be fine. Like, you have such a big lead on second place." you can go easy for the rest of the race and still win. So I got on my bike the second day. 
like I couldn't even walk, get off the bus by myself because my legs hurt so badly. Like they were just like this intense pain. Like don't know how I got my leg over my bike or how I started moving forward. Like I'm pretty sure someone pushed me to get me started. And then like basically day two, you go 5,000 feet up this volcano and then 5,000 feet down the other side. And on the way up, there's a couple short downhills and I couldn't descend without either having my knees locked out straight or sitting on the saddle because my legs were in so much pain. I couldn't like support myself. With my knees were... oh. Yeah, they were wrecked. So I was like, well, this is really dangerous because even if I get to the top of the volcano, I'm going to die on the way down because I can't descend without being seated. And like I knew it was really bad, but like no one spoke English on the side of the road. So I kept trying to find someone to talk to because like, I just need to talk this through with someone because like, I don't know what to do. And I don't, I like, I don't know even how to pull out of a race. And I eventually found some women who are actually from Virginia, but one of them is a friend of my friend in Leadville. And they, I talked to them, they called my friend in Leadville and my friend in Leadville was like, Oh my God, she needs to go to the hospital immediately. So they took me to the hospital, basically just dropped me off there with nothing but like bike shorts and a rain jacket and a sports bra. Cause like I took my Jersey off cause it was wet from sweat <laughs> and they left oh with it <laughs> and I didn't have a passport or an ID or anything. And my cell phone died like an hour after getting to the hospital. And I basically stayed there for eight hours with an IV of fluid in my arm. And then eventually like the race sent someone to bring me my things, but they're in a big Tupperware container. Like I could not carry this Tupperware container by myself in the state that I was in. So like begged the guy to get me an Uber and send me to the hotel the race was at and like check myself out of the hospital. Even though the hospital was like, no, you should stay. You're going to die. And I was like, well, I'm pretty sure I'll be okay. (laughs) And then got home and and after a week kind of realized like how bad the situation was, like how close I was to liver failure. But like didn't, didn't really couldn't understand what was going on because I don't speak Spanish and they didn't speak English. Like the language barrier I just, I got really lucky that I didn't have liver failure or kidney failure. And then when you got (laughs) home, did you go to the doctor and like think, was there any permanent damage or? I went, so I went to, I went to school and taught a whole day, which was like the most painful day of teaching, but I've never been so grateful to be in my classroom ever. But I just, at the end of the day, I couldn't stand anymore because my legs hurt so much. And then I went, I went to urgent care instead of. Like my doctor's really hard to get into because our healthcare is terrible in the yeah. US. So I went to urgent care and they didn't really understand. Like they, I tell them the story and they're like, uh-huh, sure. Like you're an alcoholic or something. So they give me all these pamphlets about alcoholism no. and how it ruins your liver <laughs> oh or kidneys God. and liver. I don't know. And they take my blood and then I get a phone call when I get home from the doctor and they're like, mm, so your numbers are pretty messed up. But the urgent care lady who, if she had known me would have said, go to the hospital, you idiot. Instead, she was like, you have two choices. You could just drink a lot of water or go to the hospital. Like, of course I'm going to choose to drink a lot of water. Like, I don't want to go to the emergency room because that's a whole nother thing. So like the whole thing dragged out way longer than it needed to, because I found out later that my CK, like the protein in my liver was like just below the threshold of when your liver gives up. It was like 9,000 and at 10, you're like, basically your liver 
goes oh and then you God. are end up on dialysis. And like, I didn't understand dialysis was for life either. So like if I had known all the stuff I know now, I would have gone to the hospital because it wasn't worth the risk. But, Absolutely. Like, but all of this meant that like the recovery took a really long time because I wasn't actually like, I didn't really take care of my body. Like I was put it through this terrible thing. My liver was super messed up. And instead of getting at the fluid it needed, I drug out the amount of time it took. And my liver is fine now. Like everything is back to normal, but it just like three weeks later, I still felt wrecked. Oh my gosh. Like four weeks later, I still felt wrecked. And then Christmas break, I still felt terrible, but I didn't know at that point it's because I was pregnant, not because I was still recovering. You thought, I remember you telling me the story. You <laughs> thought you're like, man, I'm just so tired and my boots <laughs> kind of hurt. And your friend's like, um, <laughs> maybe <laughs> you're pregnant. <laughs> Yeah, in like late January, I was like, wow, I don't like coffee anymore. That's really strange. Like what a strange thing to have happened to someone in their 30s. And and my boobs are so big. Like I've never had boobs before and they're actually big. And I was mountain biking with my friend Menzo and he was like, you should take a test because if you crash and kill a baby that you didn't know was there, you're going to be really sad. <laughs> so, so then turns out it wasn't that I was still recovering from rhabdo is that I was 11 weeks pregnant. <laughs> I was like, wait, right. When my body was like literally dying, it also thought at the same time, this is a great chance to make new life. <laughs> Which is so crazy, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Cause well, we weren't like, we weren't actively trying, but we, we were kind of trying to have kids from that when I quit racing cross country, like there was a, a brief period of time where I was like, well, I, I want to start a family. So this is a good time to do it. And so I, like, I really wanted a baby in 2017 and like didn't happen. Cause I was riding my bike too much. Mm. And I like, then I got kind of back into the bike racing thing. So the second year I was racing ultra endurance, I was like not trying to have a kid, but we weren't not trying to. Right. We weren't trying to not. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> yes, crazy. If I, if I'd never gone to Costa Rica and gotten rhabdo, I probably wouldn't be pregnant right now. Wow. That's crazy <laughs> to think about, huh? <laughs> it's crazy. And it's also hilarious because Amy Rambacher had a baby around the time that I was recovering from rhabdo. Mm -hmm. And I, I posted something online about how hard it was mentally to be recovering from this thing and to, to not be able to ride my bike. And she replied about having a similar sentiment, but it's because she was pregnant that she couldn't ride. And I remember just being so pissed off. Like, at least you get to have a baby out of this. Like you get to have a baby. I'm just trying to stay alive. Like you have nothing to complain about. And like, turns out I was also pregnant. So oh, <laughs> I also get to have a baby. <laughs> and it, yeah, so it all worked out. But it's so nuts to me that like, yeah, your body's like, okay, cool. This is the time. Is Let's perfect. do it. Let's do this. <laughs> I'm all in. <laughs> but really like it just, it, what it took was three weeks of not pedaling a bike because I was riding so much. Like my, I didn't have a period for five years. So Whoa. my body just would never have gotten pregnant on its own. Right. But as soon as I, as soon as I stopped riding and three weeks off legit three weeks after I got back from Costa Rica is when we conceived. Wow. And and then I was like back on my bike twice a week after that three week mark. But that's all it took. Wow. <laughs> so if you want to have a baby and you're riding your bike a lot, go get Rabdo. <laughs>
This is like um, an incredible silver lining. <laughs> it is. It's amazing. I remember thinking that when you told me, because I knew you'd had the rhabdo and then I saw you and you're like, I'm pregnant. I'm like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> and I'm three months at that point, you were 12 weeks or something and uh-huh. more. And it was just so crazy. And I thought, gosh, what a, what a positive outcome from that whole Costa Rica ordeal. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cause it was, it was crushing in, in December. Everyone said after I got back from Costa Rica, Oh, I had rhabdo. It takes this many weeks to recover six to eight weeks. You'll feel normal in six to eight weeks. And I waited six weeks came and went and I still felt like garbage. Mm-hmm. And then eight weeks came and went. And I, we were in Northern California at my in-laws house. And I was, I had tried to go ride my bike and there's all these incredible rides up in Sonoma County that I do every year over Christmas break as part of like base training for the season. And I'd try, I'd go out and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to ride my bike. And then I would make it 20 miles in. I'd be like, I can't keep going. Like I have to go home. I'm dying. And I didn't understand. Like at some point I was like, I'm never going to be better. Like I've eight weeks came and went 10 weeks came and went and I still wasn't better. And I thought the rhabdo was just that bad that I Mm -hmm. like had ruined my body and that I wouldn't ever train again. Wow. And so it's kind of like right in the heart of despair. Like right when I was like, I, I have to give up this thing that I liked so much. That's when I found out I was pregnant. And then it must've been a huge (laughs) relief because one, you finally were able to get pregnant, but two, you knew that like, okay, my body's okay, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not out forever. That must've been so, I bet you just felt so relieved to hear that. Oh yeah. It was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you're like, okay, now there's a timeline here, but I will be back. Like, <laughs> gotta have the baby, and yeah. <laughs> and you've had a healthy pregnancy since, like, since the beginning. It sounds like. Well, I, I've been I've been really lucky that it's been really easy, but I've also been really stupid and done a lot of things that have made it more stressful than it needs to be. Like, I bought plane tickets to go to Peru with my coworker before I knew I was pregnant. And I was like, well, I can't not go hike to Machu Picchu over Salcante Pass. So, (laughs) but then the whole time I'm like, is this a good idea to be doing this when you're pregnant? Like 15,000 feet is pretty high. Pretty high. It was fine, right? You probably felt pretty. Did you feel like super winded more than normal? Oh my gosh. I felt amazing. Really? Oh, yeah, I thought the plane lands, Cusco is 11,000 feet and the plane is pressurized to 10. So like a lot of people get off the plane in Cusco and they're just wrecked because they already have altitude sickness. Oh, I, the entire time we were there, I felt so good. Like, I don't understand how this is even possible. Yeah. You'd think that you, it would kind of take it out of you double time <laughs> with the altitude <laughs> and the baby taking. But up. maybe also it's like all this training, like all these oh. years of ultra endurance training. Even though I had all that time off from the rhabdo, it's still like the endurance is there. Right. Yeah, that's true. I'm just so lucky. But lately, it's been slowing me down a lot more. Like, I walked three miles yesterday to the post office and back. It was really hard. Oh, all uphill <laughs> on the way back. And yeah. My feet hurt a lot last night. <laughs> I bet. And you don't, you're, you're off school for the summer. Yeah. But you're also like embarking on house projects. <laughs> we replaced all the siding on the back of our house. <laughs> I saw it. It looks great. 
And then I want to tear the kitchen apart, but Brendan has said that I'm not allowed to start that project until we deep clean the garage. So we've been putting a lot of work into deep cleaning the garage, which also means throwing everything away. Oh, oh, that's kind of, that's kind of fun. Because <laughs> when you're pregnant, you want to clean everything and throw everything away. <laughs> and like you're nesting, yeah. you're like it's kind of awesome. <laughs> I bet it is because yeah, you're kind of like preparing for this new start, sort of. And yeah, and like normally I hate cleaning, but now I'm like, what? I need to start cleaning. I need to be cleaning more. <laughs> well, and now you have time. Yeah, you know, because you're not going to choose cleaning over riding your bike. Exactly. So. <laughs> Want to go ride your bike? No, I have to clean the fridge. <laughs> I think that means you're in a pretty good place, kind of emotionally about it. Yeah. You know that you were able to say, "Now you go ahead. I'm going to stay home and clean," which <laughs> is probably the, literally the first time you've ever said that. <laughs> yep. It's weird because I there was when I was. When I was in early and mid-pregnancy, I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to ride my bike all the way through. Like, I can't not ride my bike. This, that's just not a reality that I can accept. And now that we're I don't, four-ish weeks from the due date or three weeks from the due date, like, I have no desire to ride my bike at all. And it's not like that's I cool. don't like bikes. It's just it's, I don't have any desire. And it's kind of great. Were you worried about how you would handle not being able to ride your bike towards the Oh, end? for sure. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's, it's hard not being as active. Cause like I can't hike very far anymore cause it's painful and tiring. Mm-hmm. And it's also really hot in Southern California. So that doesn't yeah. help, but like I've started swimming again, which is nice. Cause you can't really tell you're pregnant when you're swimming. Oh. And it's been kind of a fun change of pace. Cause I haven't swam since college and like just doing things that are different that I didn't do for a long time in place of riding my bike. And it's just, I don't know. It's a nice mental break. For sure. And good for your body too. Yeah, for you know, sure. To have that that change of pace and give it give your riding <laughs> muscles a break for a while. I'm sure the swimming is gonna give me the upper body strength I need to hold a baby, right? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Or a dinosaur. <laughs> <would arms>. so. <laughs> That's awesome. And you've been doing you did a couple big hikes too. You went up the north backbone of Mount Baldy a few weeks ago. And I was like, go Larissa, I've done that. That's, that's, that's a challenging hike. Uh, That was also probably not very smart (laughs) because I didn't know what contractions felt like back then because you can read all the books you want and you will never actually know unless you talk to a human about like what these things are that you experience during pregnancy. And like, I don't have a lot of pregnant friends like any. So Mm. like, we were hiking on North backbone and I was joking with Carl. Like I didn't think the baby was going to stay inside of me to the end of the hike. And then, and then I talked to someone a week later and she's like, this is what contractions feel like. And I was like, Oh my God, that was way more true than what I knew at the time. Were they like, like I was, I hiked myself into really like serious contractions. Like, thank God I sat down and ate something, but (laughs) like more than like Braxton Hicks type stuff. Yeah, like getting into the oh, painful ones because oh. Braxton Hicks aren't painful. Oh my god! But they stopped and <laughs> you were good. Like, yeah. Oh my god! Was <laughs> so your doctor lucky. like, okay, woman, like maybe time to chill a little bit? <laughs> I I switched doctors because the first doctor I had was like, no running, no biking, no this, no that, and I was like, mm, yeah, we're not a good fit yeah. for each other. And she also said, you're not eating for two. You can only have one to 200 extra calories a day. And like, 
basically, this is what I've been looking forward to my whole life when I think about pregnancy is eating for two. So like, look, I don't think we're a good match. And the new, now I see the midwives at Mission Hospital and they're super chill. And they basically are like, if it feels good, do you do it? Oh, that's, are you doing any yoga? <laughs> no, I want to, but it's living in Silverado makes things a little difficult because the classes are like once a week in inconvenient places like Costa Mesa. Mm-hmm. And I hate driving. So it's been, I should be doing yoga. Well, someone just got her yoga certification yeah. and has taught some prenatal classes to Nicole Formosa, who is about to give birth any day now. Wait, so we'll talk after the show. Yeah. Okay. What's Let's that? talk after the show. Yeah. No, she lives in uh, down in South County and I've um, gone to her um, and we've done a couple sessions together oh, and it's cool. been really fun. So I'd be happy to come to your house because it's a mile and a half away <laughs> it's a long or whatever it is. I don't know if you want to do that. <laughs> You're going to have to decide if you ride a bike here or drive. <laughs> I, oh, I'll ride my e-bike. Best of both. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, I love that thought. I would be, love to do that with you. Oh, that could be fun. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you about was um, when you were racing – kind of hot and heavy there for those couple, two, three years. Was there a, a highlight that, um, that you really are proud of or a moment during one of those trips that, that you'll just kind of cherish and never, never want to forget? Yeah. I think racing world championships in 2016, um, in the team USA kit was in Nova Mesto and <sighs> the Czech Republic was kind of the, the highlight of my bike racing career. Cause well, that was one of the two highlights. That was the cross country highlight. Cause in, in college when I was racing road bikes, I would, I would dream about racing in the national team kit on the road. And then when we moved, I kind of gave all that up because I, I felt like now I'm an adult. I have to do adult things. I can't, I'm not going to be a bike racer anymore. I'm going to work and, and to be able to accomplish that dream that I had had back in college and work really hard to achieve it was really special. It's like that yeah. was a huge highlight, but then also winning Leadville the first year on the bike that Brennan designed, especially since it was like a secret like prototype, like I wasn't allowed to talk about it and it was, he totally overhauled the whole thing. Like he didn't just make some tweaks to some head tube angles or whatever. Like he redesigned the cross country bike for felt. And I honestly believe it is the best cross country mountain bike out there. And so it wasn't just like, Oh, I'm sponsored by Cannondale. So I have to love this Cannondale and tell everyone how great it is. It was like, I'm on this bike that I honestly believe is the best. And we won Leadville on it. And it was kind of cool. Cause it was like, we both got to win. Oh, not just like awesome. I pedaled hard. And therefore cross the finish line first. It was like his genius, his engineering that accomplished that. So that was really special. Is there a, like a trip or a, you know, maybe a fun, uh, I I usually try to ask my guests, all my guests this so far. Um, is there a place or a, a destination that you just absolutely love to visit, to, to ride bikes, both for the trails and the town, the vibe? Like, do, do you have a couple of those that you, you're drawn to when you get to go and just be free and go somewhere cool. Oh my God. I have so many. (laughs) I can't, I can't pick just one. It's, it's so hard. I feel like we're so lucky in the U S because we have so much good mountain biking here and like the mountain biking in Europe is pretty good too, but 
you don't have to go abroad to ride incredible trails and like have a huge variety of things you get to experience. But like I've been to Moab a couple times, including once in June when it was 110 degrees every day. And like, we thought we were going to die, but I was working. So I didn't have a choice, but to ride my bike. Like there's so much, there's so much there that I think Moab's one of my favorite places in the U S and I've, I've been there for fun and I've been there for work. And every time I go, it's just nonstop awesome riding. And I think the whole enchilada is like the one ride of all the rides in the U S that I'd be like, you have one week to go on vacation, go to Moab, ride the whole enchilada. So for sure. But then also every, every year that I've traveled to Colorado and driven back and ridden Monarch crest, that's also like a huge highlight for me. Ooh, I've never done that trail and I so love to. And it's not one of those trails where like the first time I rode it, it was great. And then I went back and it was like, not so, not as great as I remember. Uh-huh. Every time I'm there, it's just as good as I remember it being. It's so rad. It's like, make you want to cry. It's so fun. Oh, now that's outside of Gunnison. No, Buna, Buna Vista. Buna Vista. Buna yeah. Vista. Yeah. And we like every, for the last two or three years, I've driven to Colorado to do Leadville. And then on the way home, like the day after Leadville, we always ride Monarch Crest. Oh, it's like a 30 mile shuttle. And you start at the Continental Divide at like 10,000 feet, 10 or 11. And then you're up high for a long time before you drop. And it's actually pretty strenuous, but it's like that to me, like Leadville's over and it's kind of, uh, you end up with the post season blues, like not let down, but it's over and all that anticipation. Like Arr. you just have those emotions of like, now what do I do with my life? And so having that as like the next day is kind of like having a honeymoon after a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Plus it's like the hair of the dog. Like you just raced your bike really hard and you're totally hung over from bike racing. And then you go ride more bikes. <laughs> and then coach is like, you are an idiot. You're going to end up dying. <laughs> you're going to get wrapped out. Yeah. <laughs> Because every day after Leadville, I was like, well, I can't not ride my bike. Now we're in Gunnison. <laughs> and we got to go ride Hartman Rocks. <laughs> now right. we're in Telluride. Like, I can't not ride my bike. <laughs> how has how has being pregnant changed you or, or has it? I don't know. It's hard to say because I feel like I'm just, I've always been kind of like a uh, a pawn to the circumstances I'm in and I've gotten really lucky and that those circumstances have led me to the places they have. But like right now, I don't really know what it's going to, I don't know what life's going to be like after the baby's born because I've never been through this. And I don't know if I'll like, I talked to some, some women who are professional bike racers and they say, Oh yeah, well it doesn't have to change. Like you can still race your bike. You can still do it all and be a mother like Rose Grant. And, um, that's like great for them, but I have no idea if that's how I'm going to feel. Like if I'm going to be the same person after, or if it's going to change my priorities a hundred percent and I'm going to feel like bike racing is trivial. Like I don't, I have no idea. Awful unknowns for sure. And everyone's different. Like everyone handles it different. So like everyone who's like, you, you should, you should race your bike. Like you can do it. You can, it's, it's hard work, but you, you should do it. Like that, that's great for them that they're doing that. And it's really impressive that Rose has like been racing since she had her baby, but it just, I feel like that doesn't mean that I have to also do that. 
I'm like right. trying to not tie again. myself to the expectation that I'll be doing that. Yeah, I think that Just that sounds really like a healthy way to approach it because I know you know over the years I've met several several other athletes and friends who have maybe had these expectations of oh I'm going to be right back in there I'm young I'm I'm fit I had a really fit pregnancy like I'm just going to be right back in this and then whatever circumstances happened they couldn't and then they ended up you know, having a really, really struggling and having to grapple with that in the moment because they were so attached to the idea of that, you know, that expectation and then they couldn't do it. And, and I feel like coming into it, like you are with a, you know, openness to whatever is going to happen will happen and you'll kind of roll with it. I, I feel like that that's setting you up maybe really well for, <laughs> for what's yeah, coming. I'll accept whatever ends up coming to me in the future. And I like, when I was in high school and community college, I was running marathons and I was really into running and I thought I'm going to be a runner for the rest of my life. And like in, in at UC Davis, I kind of had this reinvention of myself and became a bike racer. And so I feel like I've appreciate the trajectory that my life has taken me through. Like, I really enjoyed being a professional bike racer, but I don't necessarily think that I have to continue racing to in, be happy in life. Even though like last year, if you'd asked me that, I would have been like, oh, I have to keep racing. I have to keep winning everything. <laughs> That's interesting. So maybe this is one way that pregnancy has impacted your oh, life. That's true. <laughs> it's, it's weird when you're in it, when you're like 100% in it and you're have all these expectations from all these sponsors to like post on social media and to do all these things and you're winning races and everyone's like, Oh my gosh, you're so strong. Like it seems so important. It seems so like, like all that matters is that I win Leadville again. All that matters is that I'm the whatever, like the best ultra endurance racer in the U S like that. It seems like a big deal, but then if out of it for one year, like, I've given up every title that I held and Leadville is going to come and someone else is going to win. And I'm no longer going to be the reigning champion of this race. Mm -hmm. And it's like when I went back to school two years ago in September, I I like left for the weekend and I came back and I told my students on a Monday, like, guess who I met this weekend. I met Lance Armstrong and the students were like, who's that? And I was like, wait, none of you, not a single one of you knows who Lance Armstrong is. And I like just really hit home that you, no matter what you accomplish, it doesn't like your accomplishments won't mean anything in X number of years. And it could be one year or five years or 20 years. It's like, there's more to life than just winning bike races or like doing these things that seem so important when you're in them. It's like, it would be cool if I raced more, but I also think I'd be happy to be a mother and to, I don't know, be part of the bike world in a different way. Like maybe I'll just be doing skills clinics and, and coaching the high school mountain bike team and, and doing that and like being there for other people instead of being on the selfish end of it. Cause the bike racing side is the selfish end of it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of has to be, doesn't it? To be good at yeah. it. Yeah. And it's like almost draining in a way. Cause when I was racing full time and not working, it was like every decision was about how much I need to eat, what I, how many, many hours I need to sleep when I need to travel and like, even in our relationship, Brennan doesn't 
hold any of that against me because he liked the fact that I enjoyed bike racing, but it's still like, it's draining to be that selfish all the time. Mm-hmm. And like you, some people thrive on it. Like I'm sure <laughs> for some people it's great, but I don't know. <laughs> There's, yeah, you didn't like how that nice. Felt. It was nice to go back to teaching. Cause then I know like tangibly I'm making a difference in the life of X number of students. And like, people say, Oh, you inspire me to ride my bike. And that's awesome. But it's still, it's such a abstract concept to inspire people. (laughs) Right. And you don't necessarily know your impact, right? Yeah. And also like, I know I have a huge ego and I know I'm a huge dick. Like I went and did that. What's that race with sagebrush safari? I went and did that race this spring when I was like, I don't know, 20 weeks pregnant and like went off the front of the race with all these dudes. And I was like, you're getting beat by a pregnant lady because I'm a dick. Like, <laughs> I know like when I'm racing a bike, I'm not necessarily the best version of myself. And like what, what people see is like the nice, like cheering for other people, friendly Larissa, but, like deep down, I'm an asshole. Well, I think, I think we, we all have that side to us, but the failure is coming out when you're racing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. You did that race 20 weeks pregnant. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was pretty you far went? along. Like it was hard to zip up my Jersey that morning. And I like, I knew everyone was like, you got to keep your heart rate below 140. Like that's the magic number between 140 and 160. If you go much over 160, like then you're overheating the baby and you'll overcook its brain or something. I don't know. Like lost my heart rate monitor in Costa Rica. It's like, I haven't had a heart rate monitor since November. So I basically was like, just going by feel. And after I went off the front and rubbed it in, they all got beat. We're getting beat by a pregnant lady. They all dropped me. And then it was really hard to tell, like, am I going too hard? Am I not going? Mm. Is it okay if I go harder? It was, <laughs> I enjoyed it. I, I liked it a lot. I had fun racing, but it was so hard. And then I was riding with these like random yahoos and like these dudes would be behind me. They're like, wow, you pick really good lines descending. And I'm like, well, yeah, don't you know who I am? <laughs> I used to do this for a living. Like this isn't, I didn't just like pick up a bike. Like I didn't just, my boyfriend didn't just give me a bike. And also, you keep pregnant. up with me yeah. because I'm pregnant. <laughs> oh God, that is so fun. I didn't say any of that to these people, but it was just really a fun experience. <laughs> I bet. Did you, did, don't tell me you won. Did you win 20 weeks pregnant? No, I got second. Um, what? What's her name? The, that Leslie Patterson was oh, there. Yeah. So I did not try to keep up with her because she was not pregnant. And I did not want to overheat and overcook the brain of my baby, but <laughs> I didn't expect to get second place either. I thought I was going to get like 10th. Oh my God, so it was kind of a surprise impressive. when they're like, you got second in the overall. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> that I should have gone slower. <laughs> that's amazing. That pregnant. That was the last bike race I did. Okay. <laughs> but you're like halfway through your pregnancy and one second. I mean, that's great. That, there were quite a few people there. Like that's a pretty, that race has a pretty decent turnout. Yeah. It was really fun. Oh, I highly God. recommend that to anyone who lives in Southern California. Cause the trails, like you would never go down there to ride. You'd never mm. be like, let's go down to Lake Moreno or wherever it is. But it, when you race there, like every single trail is incredibly fun and to like have a reason to go on a certain day and 
the the atmosphere and the camaraderie and all that of going to a bike race. Like it's super fun, totally worth it. Besides being able to still ride through most of your pregnancy, what else have you liked about being pregnant or loved even? I don't know. It's kind of nice to just eat food and to not always be thinking about how one pound is going to make you slower. So mm. I like don't look at the scale when the the midwife weighs me and she knows not to tell me because it'll get in my head. And I just eat when I'm hungry and I eat spinach a lot of the time. But then I've also, we went on a road trip and I ate a cinnamon roll two days in a row Good and it was you. glorious Aww. and I felt no guilt about it. Good. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's been pretty rad. <laughs> and your new, your new midwife situation that, that was perfectly fine to do, but not with the old doctor. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know what would have happened with the old doctor. She was just a stress case. Like oh. every time I was there, she was like, we need to do all these tests because your baby may have brain damage, blah, blah, blah. Like she was just so high strung about all the testing that needed to be done. Mm. Oh, and I was like, uh, I didn't know that that stuff was all optional. I would have just skipped all of it, but she made, made it seem like it was the most important thing. Like you have to, at this number of weeks, you have to do all these tests. Like we got to do all these things. And she would call me and tell me that my test was just on the tip of being irregular. So I was a high risk oh, pregnancy. I'm like, you didn't need to tell me that. Like it, the numbers were fine. Oh, it was like terrible. close to being terrible. in the not normal zone, but just I, about like stupid things, like some number that indicated I would have high blood pressure or something. Oh, I was like, geez. I understand that like you're trying to be thorough, but your stress is actually just not, it's having a negative impact on me and probably the pregnancy. So and also the negativity of you can't be eating for two. That just, <laughs> nobody needs that negativity in their life. <laughs> totally. So stressful. I'm glad you switched. <laughs> what if, what the, if you- the midwives are like, are you feeling good? How, they want to hear like, they want to hear how I'm feeling and how I'm oh, doing and my emotions and, and all that. Great. Like they care about that. This other lady was like, business, 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 like come in. Here's the heart rate. Okay. I'm leaving. I've got more patients. Oh, like, whoa. Okay. Oh, yeah. That does <laughs> I'm doing great, by the way. <laughs> by the way. Yeah. No, it sounds like midwives are a good fit for you. Oh yeah. All around. Well, I recommend for anyone. Ah, <laughs> Cause it's so much more like complete care, not just yeah. like numbers and charts. Not and so clinical. Tests. Yeah. Yeah. Not clinical. Because you- being, being pregnant is not a health problem. It's not like I'm sick. Right. That's a good way to think about it. Yeah. It's like something that people that do in rural con- rural places where they don't have health care. They still get pregnant and they make it through to the end. Right. Yeah. And then they- <laughs> so it's not like I need to be doing all these tests. Exactly. Oh, yeah. That's our <laughs> medical uh, medical system gone awry again. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's very stressful. Are, is there something, is there, are there parts that you have besides not being able to ride your bike as much these days? Um, is there parts of pregnancy that you don't love? The only thing is probably just that I have to pee every 10 minutes. <laughs> it's really annoying. Cause I don't like, I don't actually have to pee. Like I go to the bathroom and I'm like, well, that was a waste of time. And then 10 minutes later, I'm like, I got to pee again. And they're like, you need to be drinking 64 to a hundred fluid ounces of water every day. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm just gonna be pounding water all day. But then when you're pounding water all day, you're peeing all the time. Sure. And then when you're not pounding water all day, you know that that's bad for the baby. 
So it's just this like vicious cycle of the healthier you are, the more you're on the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) If you've ever tried to be on a road trip with someone who's 33 weeks pregnant, you are going to have to pull over every half an hour as poor Brennan did on the way from Reno to Orange County (laughs) weeks ago. Yeah, you just did a big, cool road trip, didn't you? Yeah, it was originally we planned it when I thought I was still recovering from rhabdo. And I was like, we'll ride our bikes in all these cool places I've never been, like Seattle. And then it turned into, I will drive you to the top of the mountain and you can ride down the trail, Brendan. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Which was, I didn't actually mind it because then I just went hiking with the dog. Oh, that's perfect. And then Brendan would tell me what the trail was like when he got done. (laughs) Where did you go? We stopped a lot along the way up. So we, he rode in Santa Barbara. We stopped again in Santa Cruz. He rode a lot in Santa Rosa. We stopped in, um, Oh, just North of Mendocino. He got to ride up there. Um, we stopped in, uh, Ashland. He did the super D and then we stopped in Oak Ridge and he got to do two of the shuttleable trails there. Um, we were in Portland for a little while, but there's no mountain biking there. Um, oh, but he got to ride in Hood River. Oh, then we um, went to Seattle. Yeah, he got to ride Duthi Park or uh, whatever the Duthi Mountain. Yeah, and then he got to ride Tiger Mountain, which had some incredible downhill trail, apparently. Um, and then we drove back through Sonoma County and out to Reno. So he got to ride in Reno, and then um, through Mammoth on the way home. But Brennan didn't ride Mammoth. I hiked. <laughs> Perfect. How fun. It was a lot of a lot of cool places. Like I've never ridden in the Pacific Northwest outside of Bend. So it would have been cool to have to have done all the riding up there, but next time. What are you looking forward to the most about being a parent? And then are there, you know, certain things that you're really excited about sharing with your your daughter, um, teaching her and introducing her to? Are there are there some things you're just really excited about in that realm? I don't have anything like specific that I've thought about ahead of time, but Mm -hmm. I just, I have like fear that things that I plan or I get excited about won't actually come to fruition because like, I can't know if she's going to like mountain bikes. I can't Mm -hmm. know if she's going to like math. I can't like, I can't control what she likes or dislikes. And so I just kind of, and I think Brennan's kind of all along, even before we were even planning on having kids been kind of like infusing this idea into my head, like you can't control the outcome of what your kid is like. So <laughs> you just, you have to be happy with who they are and and what they decide their passion is. So I like, I've kind of just been keeping an open mind about all that. Um, but I do think that like from all the parents that I know that I consider to be good role models as parents, like um, there's a family I stay with when I go to Park City for the Park City Point to Point, and they have two daughters who are just like t- the most well-adjusted, like nicest human beings on the planet. Like, and I've met a lot of other parents through my traveling and bike racing that I like are similar. I think using like nature and and exercise, mountain biking, hiking, whatever it is, like whatever outlet that the kid is into with you to teach your child about like hard work and that all this like suffering pays off. I think that's Mm. what I'm looking forward to is like hopefully passing that part of me on to her. If she's into it, 
<laughs> right. But <laughs> like even that is such a valuable thing to have in terms of work ethic. Even, yeah. You know? Like if you suffer for half an hour to get to the top of a hill, then you get to go down. Or if you suffer for two hours going up Columbine, then you get to, you know, there's the reward that comes from hard work. Yeah. And in life, that's true too. Mm-hmm. Like you don't just, things don't just automatically happen by chance. Like you have to put in lots and lots of hours of work that doesn't get noticed. And then in the end, if you're willing, if you're dedicated and all that, then good things will come. But I think teaching the kid that through exercise and through like being outdoors and, and mountain biking or hiking or whatever is something I think will be, I don't know. I look forward to it, but hopefully she actually likes those things. Right. So she's like, uh, I don't like hiking. <laughs> I don't like outside. What if she wants to be a ballerina? <laughs> I'm screwed. <laughs> I have a feeling she's going to be raised pretty much <clears throat> outside. So, well, yeah, we live in the canyon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's going to be this like canyon wild child. I hope so. No clothes, no shoes. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Well, I for one can't wait to meet her in a few weeks. (laughs) Well, to keep up with Larissa's adventures, both uh, with her new baby and husband, you can and on the bike. Um, hopefully down the road again uh she'll always be involved with two wheels in some capacity i imagine um you can follow larissa on instagram what's your handle oh it's just my name larissa connors okay well that'll be in the show notes so at larissa connors on instagram and then um she does have a blog too we'll make sure we put that and you're a very consistent blogger but that um (laughs) in uh, the show notes as well. And Larissa, it was so fun to chat with you. And I always think when I interview my friends that, oh, I'm going to know so much of this. And I'm like, I I learned so much about you during this conversation that I really didn't know. So I I really more than you ever wanted to know. (laughs) No, never. (laughs) So it was really lovely to chat with you and, 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 you know, get into who you are a bit more. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us. And we will look forward to the next episode coming soon. Um, Just keep an eye on mountainbikeradio.com and social media. And in the meantime, I'm your host, Val Vanderpool. You can follow me at She Shreds Bikes on Instagram. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys.